think that foolishness is the mother of invention. It's this childish wonder at the world, just noticing things and, and, and um, making mistakes. I teach my students that clever people learn from mistakes, but the very clever people patent them. You are listening to Professor Mel Rosenberg, inventor of the famous double-phase mouthwash, now sold by Colgate. It is interesting to hear from Mel, as someone who has invented, patented, sold, and saw his product go from invention to market, what he thinks about patents. When we think about protecting technology, we often think of patents, and I feel that not enough emphasis is being given to other forms of intellectual property protection, trade secrets, for example. I think that we need to be creative enough also in choosing the right way to protect our product. When we talk about innovation, we usually think success. So it is also interesting for me to hear Mel talk about the number of times that he had failed and the importance of failing as part of his success. So let's have some innovation time with Mel Rosenberg. Welcome to Protecting Your Value, where it's all about protecting your technology, your inventions, and your brands. If there's anyone who knows anything about the need to protect your creative assets, it is your host, Ilanit Appelfeld. Hi, Mel. I'm very excited that you're here. I'm excited. Thanks for coming. It's my great pleasure. Let me introduce you to our listeners. Hi, listeners. You manage the Keter Innovation Center at Chenkar College in Ramat Gan. You invented the famous double-phased mouthwash, which was sold to Blistex and then sold to Colgate in the UK. You teach creative thinking and entrepreneurship skills at Chenkar. You're a professor of microbiology at Tel Aviv University. You're a musician and also a children's book writer. Hmm. I'm primarily a children's book writer, but I'm not discovered yet. <laughs> and lately I've heard... That you have been approached by one of the incubators with a request to be their innovation expert um, I can't deny that but I'm not going to confirm it either <laughs> well let's just dive in dive away how do you decide if and when to file a patent application so of course not all ideas need to be patented not all ideas can be patented and not all, all ideas should be patented um, I think that if you have a chance of licensing of um, of making a deal with a large company within a very small period of time less than a year then it's a good idea to protect your intellectual property mm -hmm. um, if you're starting out uh, it might not be a good idea because that year or year and a half or two years or three years um, it passes very very quickly and then you're asked to spend tens of thousands of dollars sometimes more. Uh, protecting an idea that um, you may not ever sell. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we, we often tell our clients that the patents that we file for them need to, to have a strong correlation to the actual product or the actual thing they want. Yes, to but do. when you're a small company, you don't know what your product is going to be. Right. And uh, then you have, then very often, the claims in your original patent are not the claims that you want to protect. Right. This has happened to me. So your advice would be... Wait as much as you can in filing your patent until at least you know what your product is, or at the very least, you know what you want to license out. 
Well, there's there's always a dilemma because you can't tell anybody about your your invention um, if you haven't uh, patented it yet, or you shouldn't perhaps. Uh, and if you don't tell anybody, how are you going to market, sell it, uh, license it, and so on? Right. So there's a there's a dilemma here, uh, especially for small companies. Right. The other problem, as I see it, is even if your know-how is protected and you get a patent, and somebody infringes. As a small company, what are you going to do? Exactly. Because uh, suing a large company can cost $5 million or more. Mm -hmm. And usually they find ways to bankrupt you during the process. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, again, for a small company, I think it's only valuable if in the short term you see yourself licensing the invention, uh, selling the company, connecting with a very large Goliath who's going to protect you down the line. But what about investment processes? I mean, venture capitalists, investments, angels, they want to see the patent pending. They want to see the status report, including a few patents pending. Yes, yeah, sometimes this is a mistake. If you are an investor and you're looking at some young people who have uh, applied for a patent, so what? So what? Right. Um, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of that because the, the the young people are going to pivot and the ideas are going to change and they're going to morph over time, um, and maybe they haven't had the best advice mm -hmm. before they got to you. I I think that when the technology is strong and the patents don't drive the investment process, you're right that the maximum position should be a provisional that may not be carried mm -hmm. forward and yeah, can mm -hmm. be buried. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer in provisionals. Mm -hmm. uh, so my, I would say the following. If the investor sees the ability to turn this around, in other words, if he or she has a company mm -hmm. to which he can turn and say, hey, right. you know, I have a couple of young guys with this amazing IP. Right. Um, and then if you can do that turnaround within a year's time or so, then yes. Mm -hmm. I know that you teach creative thinking, oral presentations and pitches, You know all about presentation and you're, you're an amazing public speaker yourself. Is creativity something that you can actually teach? <laughs> I mean, you can teach the presentation, you can teach, you know, the way the product needs to be positioned, but can you really teach creativity? Well, when I started giving courses on creative thinking with Dr. Alona Meet, it's already 13 years ago. Uh, the president of the college where I was teaching, he said, well, can you teach creativity? And I said, I really don't know. That's why I want to give the course. <laughs> uh, so there's two answers. The first is it depends how you define creativity. Uh, some people might define it as something innate or inherent, in which case you cannot teach it. Um, but for me, it is something that you can develop. And um, I think that you can teach a lot of skills that enable people to be more creative. Such as, for example? Um, well, we, we teach them that the creativity is a two-step process. Most okay. people teach only the second step, which is problem solving. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a problem, you want to build a bridge, um, how are you going to build it cheapest and best and fastest? Um, or I'm bald, I need a, uh, some, something to keep my head warm during the winter. Um, but uh, a lot of inventors don't work like that. 
they start with the first step, which is not having a problem that you know about, but coming up with a problem that two minutes ago you didn't know existed. <laughs> and so how do you generate problems? How do you generate new ideas? And this is what we create, we uh, concentrate on in our courses because this is less taught and it's more difficult. So is it necessity the mother of invention, as they say, or um, are no, they creating no, the problem? No, I, I think that I think that foolishness is the mother of invention. Right. Um, it's it's this childish wonder at the world and um, and 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 just noticing things and 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 um, making mistakes. Um, I teach my students that clever people learn from mistakes, but the very clever people patent them. <laughs> and you know from your experience that most discoveries, most inventions, most patents are not something that are necessarily anticipated. You know, right. I, I was mixing right. the green and yellow and I mm -hmm. expected right. blue, but it turned out to be red. Right. Could you take us to that inventive moment in, in your company, in your product that... Uh, You've managed, I mean, it's rare that an inventor manages to be there from the moment of uh, conceiving the idea, inventing it, turning it into a product, mm -hmm. patenting, patenting it, selling it. It's, it's, it's exceptional because, you know, mm -hmm. most, most of the people are there during some part of the process, but then they're just thrown out at some stage and they're not there mm -hmm. to see, you know, to see what comes out of it. And in your case which is, I think, why you're still in this ecosystem, because you're an amazing coach. I've seen you, I've seen you with companies. I've, I've seen the way you, 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 you lead them. And it'll be really interesting to hear how, what, what was it for you that that inventive moment of, well, tell us a bit about that. Well, again, it's mostly discovery. It's mostly noticing things uh, that are different. So for me, it was an experiment when the bacteria disappeared. Mm -hmm. So um, I could have just said, okay, the bacteria disappeared. Maybe they dissolved. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they went home for the evening. Um, and, but then to, to take the step of looking in the microscope and seeing exactly what happened to them. Um, or adding a blue color to our mouthwash and discovering that it actually stained the debris and then discovering that the blue color was a biological stain. Um, right. And then taking credit for it. So a lot of inventors, they take a credit post hoc. Yes, yes, I, I knew that. I knew that, of course. But um, when you get to a certain age, you realize that it's more fun talking about the failures and not taking credit for mm. anything except being obstinate and noticing things. Right. So I'm a very obstinate person. Um, so yes, I did stick with this from the moment that it was uh, discovered in the 1980s um, until Blistex uh, secured a license um, um, actually, they bought the British company in 2007, mm -hmm. and uh, now Colgate is uh, is manufacturing the mouthwash in the States, and I'm still here and I'm still interested. <laughs> Amazing. And wh why shouldn't I be? But the other thing is that at some stage, if you're lucky, you meet up with people who know how to manufacture your invention, how to market it, how to protect it, how to advertise it, and then you become second tier. You, 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 right. you move to the back burner, right. and they phone you when they need you. Right. Yeah, I've seen this with some of my clients. So if, you, if we, we go back, going back to something you said, if, if for our listeners, we can transform this into a practical tip, then my question would be, at what stage of the product development do you think 
a company should consider filing the IP. I mean, yes, we spoke about the provisional, but, you know, converting it into utility patent application mm -hmm. and, you know, getting married, as we say. Well, if it's an internet company, perhaps never. Oh, I totally if, agree. If it's a techno technology company, then I think at the stage where you have a good idea what your product is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Right. And what you want to protect. We've had this discussion um our first patent on the two-faced mouthwash, mm -hmm. not only did it not protect what we wanted to sell in the end, but it actually it almost prevented us from getting a second patent, which was the relevant one, wow. because the first one became the prior art against which the second one was judged. Oh, right, right. So it's, a ver it's important to have a very good idea of what your technology is, mm -hmm. uh, if you're protecting a product such as we were of an oil water mouthwash, that the first claim should be oil. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and we missed that. Um, so yes, um, and, and of course, this is difficult because nobody knows exactly what the product is going to look like. Right. And I, I had one patent, um, which I never told you about, hmm. that uh, we got a patent on the first run. In other words, there, there was never any opposition from the um, patent office, and mm -hmm. we got a US patent first try. Right. So I'm going to ask you now, should I have been very happy or very sad? To get a first patent without a proper examination? No, we had the examination. They said, okay, this is new. This is unanticipated. Here's your US patent. Excellent. The question there was, were you revealing too much in one patent? No, we didn't. In other words, that patent went through first time. Excellent. It was No, it was a lousy patent. Oh, I see. Because the claim, the first claim was so restrictive. Mm that it was new, it was right. unobvious. Right. Um, but somebody else came the next year and wrote another patent and filed mm -hmm. another mm -hmm. invention that used ours, and we didn't have the foresight to have a claim which was very general. Right. Uh, which would probably have been rejected the first first time round. That's always a challenge. But because yeah. our patent was too narrow, mm -hmm. so we got the patent, right. no problem. Right. But we didn't protect ourselves enough, right. and then somebody else came and invented something based on our patent. It wasn't uh, in our patent. Uh, we couldn't sue him. And he actually sold his invention to the same company wow. that was marketing ours. Unbelievable. So so in that example, getting a patent quickly was a bad sign. Yes, but I didn't see it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> is it, there's always a challenge between filing a patent that is not too wide. We always say, you know, don't be too greedy because it can backfire in the examination. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, don't be too narrow, because then you're protecting very narrowly. You have a, you know, the scope of the patent mm -hmm. is not as strong as it could be. Yeah, but if it's a provisional, you can afford to be white. Of so course. I, I would, in, in retrospect, looking back at my career and all my failures, um, and my once in a blue moon successes, um, you go for the white. Right. I mean, again, if you're With a startup... With provisional, you again, have nothing to lose that's anyway. Right. If you're a startup, um, you don't want the examination to go back and forth too many times. Each time it costs thousands of dollars. Right. Um, but, but that's not a bad thing. If I'll you tell have the you money. What, I'll tell you what. In litigation, mm -hmm. the more times you go back and forth with the examiner, mm -hmm. the more you give up on your... I mean, the more aspects you, you need to... Um, you admit what you're, you're not inventing. Yes, but if we're talking about a small company... Right. And I only have experience with small companies. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to reach the situation where you're in litigation. Right. No, absolutely. Um, litigation, we were, 
uh, one of our patents was challenged by a multinational, mm-hmm. and the company went broke. Right. You know, trying to fight off this humongous mm-hmm. uh, monster of a company. I guess there were no litigation funders at the time and no patent trolls, right? Um, but it, it wouldn't have helped us that much because, um, well, it might have, but this is like 20 years ago right. and there were no... Right, right. Okay, so, so as an inventor and prolific at that, what would you say is the most common mistake inventors or companies do in their interactions with their patent attorneys? Um, pay them. <laughs> uh, um, it's very expensive. Um, and for startups, it can be onerous. So you have to be careful not wasting patent attorneys' time. Mm-hmm. I guess that's my best advice. Right. Okay. What about companies who need, who need the hand-holding? I mean, we, we do some kind of a form. It's called an idea disclosure form. Mm-hmm. We send it to the companies. We say, whenever you have an idea... Just put all you know all your uh, ideas into this form mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do the we'll, you know we'll value we'll look at it we'll examine it we'll maybe do a patent search would that would that be a good tip to start I, I with? think that that's a great tip um, I certainly benefited over the years by having great relationships with my patent attorneys mm-hmm. uh, particularly uh, Ben uh, Benjamin Bar- Barish right to whom I owe a great deal. Um, because uh, at, at the beginning, uh, you could always come to him and, and, and talk about your idea. Right. And um, if the patent attorney has a lot of experience, as you do, um, it's invaluable to get this uh, absolutely, feedback. Absolutely, absolutely. And as someone who's been part of a large corporation, do you think incentivizing research to file suggestions for new patents, what we call idea disclosures, Mm-hmm. For them, you know, it's above and beyond their paycheck. Do, do you think that will help companies innovate? Um, it's, it's, it's a good question. Uh, here in Israel, uh, as an employee of a company, anything that I invent automatically belongs to them. Uh, so it, it, it turns into a big problem. You know, if I'm an employee and I'm getting a salary and I'm not particularly happy... Uh, why should I go the extra mile and uh, invent things? Because it would give you status and you would have uh, a patent under your name, although yeah, it, not it, the it, economical it, rights to it, but, but the academical credit, the prestige that comes with it. Mm-hmm. You're, an, you're an inventor. I, I mean, and as you know, in the U.S., the right of inventorships is, is mm-hmm. a right that you, you... Well, Ilanit, unless you work at a company that thrives on innovation, loves innovation... It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not talking about Google and Apple and so on. We're talking about, you know, um, American motor company, if there is such a thing, or, you know, a, a generic a big company. Well, right, let's talk about Israeli startups, you know, a startup with not, a... Uh, I want to talk about a big company. Okay. Big companies are actually against innovation. They punish innovation. They don't support innovation, but they say they do. Hmm. Um, and there's a reason that they do, because it's much easier to keep manufacturing what you've been manufacturing for the past 50 years. And uh, for them, innovation might be changing the color, uh, changing the size of the product. Um, and in my experience, um, when I give a talk on innovation at a company, it's more fun. It's like hiring somebody to speak about, um, you know, uh, the history of Turkish delight. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I tell them I, nothing. Nothing valuable is going to happen after my talk. 
I will tell you what I think innovation is all about. You're not going to listen to me. Um, so let's just have fun and we'll, right. we'll bark for an hour and then right. we'll go home. I see. Okay. We've, we've seen that in Israel. We've, we've, we've never managed to actually create um, in, incentives to file patents for the sake. I mean, there's always more important things going on. There's always the next round to, to, you know, to mm-hmm. prepare for. So I think in most companies, the inventors uh, are not prized. Mm-hmm. Quite the contrary. They're, they're seen as weirdos, mm-hmm. um, and very often they're passed over. The only reason that I succeeded is because I was a university professor. And at the university, um, there was a deal where if you patented something and it succeeded, the university would give your laboratory some of the money. They would give you and your family some of the money. Uh, and this was a real incentive. But even even at a place like Tel Aviv University, if I look at the whole university, right, they're against innovation. They're against patents. They're against inventors. Really? Yeah. I can tell you many discussions that I that I had with senior university people where the inventors were seen, well, not as pariahs, but as kind of weirdos uh, that didn't deserve right. the uh, fortune and fame that they were receiving. Mm-hmm because they weren't doing basic research. Wow, very surprised to hear that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it was, it was a, an environment in which I could succeed. Right. Because I was publishing basic papers mm-hmm. uh, that went into my CV. Right. And patents that didn't go in. Mm-hmm. So I had this like dual, uh, dual citizenship at Tel Aviv University. I see. In filing patent applications, do you think it makes sense to contemplate the life cycle period of the product, of the protected product or process? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it took 35 years for our mouthwash invention to get going in the United States. Now, How long? Only, it's, it has patent protection for the, for the next year, mm-hmm. just by happenstance. Right. Um, everywhere else in the world, the patents have uh, expired ages ago. So if you're working on something that people are going to use, like a cosmetic or a mm-hmm. drug or whatever, mm-hmm. the, the patent life is just not enough. Absolutely, yeah. So yes, absolutely has mm-hmm. to be taken. I mean, look, if you're a big drug company, right, you're filing patents all the time, and mm-hmm. this is what you do for a living. Right, there's CIPs <laughs> and there's strategies yeah. on... Um, but, and, and then, um, but if you're a small company... It's, it, and you're working on something that's pharma or cosmetic or, or food. Um, it can take forever to get a product. And you're like, you can have your product like go to market two years before mm-hmm. the patent expires. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, statistics are amazing. I mean, if we look back to the history of uh, several patents that we know of, I'm sure there are some um, patents that... You know, by the time they were granted, the marketing strategy has not even kicked mm-hmm. off. I, I would, and also we need to remember that um, very few patents su- succeed. Right. Maybe some people say one in a hundred at most. Uh, so if you're a company, uh, that's okay. If you're a big company, if you're a startup, right, it's kind of daunting. But I, you know, a um, a my best student, uh, who's my son. <laughs> alongside my daughter, once asked me, he said, Dad, why should anybody invent anything? Hmm. Um, there's probably almost 9 million U.S. patents. I'm not following. Right, yeah, Cl- said, closer to 10. Has, hasn't everything been invented already? <laughs> 
And I said to him, well, here's the thing. Every patent has somebody's name on it, <laughs> right? So that's the first thing, and you could be that person. Mm -hmm. and, and the strange thing is that every year, there aren't less U.S. patents. There's more. So the more that gets invented, the more there is less left to invent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's wonderful to be an inventor, but it's it's akin to, to wanting to be a tennis player on the ATP um, or a uh, professional musician. Right. Um, yes, you should go for it. It keeps you young. It keeps you vibrant. It's fun. It's great. Mm -hmm. um, but chances are you're, you're going to fail. And I think I failed, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm here in this uh, wonderful uh, discussion with you because I succeeded once. Right. And that was all happenstance. So let's touch the topic of trade secrets. Mm -hmm. I'm in love with trade secrets. And you should be. I, I thought you were in love with your husband and your children. <laughs> we meet a lot of companies that have these ideas for patents, and we end up advising, listen, it's very crowded prior art. P filing a patent reveals the invention. Mm -hmm. It publishes in, in 18 months. Mm -hmm. if you convert it to a utility patent application. Mm -hmm. And now you have to say what you're doing, really. Keep it as a trade secret. Yeah. It's not always the right way to go, but if it's something that's not easily reverse engineered, mm -hmm. you have no motivation to file it as a patent, write it down as a patent, don't file it, keep it as a trade secret, and manage it as a trade secret. Yes. Um, I think that that is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um and it's even better alongside the provisional. So if you have a trade secret that you don't reveal mm -hmm. and a uh, provisional that you do, mm -hmm. if you can protect some of that mm -hmm. and save some of it right. at home, I mm -hmm. think that would be the best bet. Yeah, absolutely. We spoke about your future plans, that you were unwilling to reveal what they were. And obviously you're going to work with companies in their innovation process. Mm -hmm. So what next, Mel? So first of all, uh, as you know, my dream is to be an acknowledged children's writer. So I wake up every morning and I go to work at seven. And before anybody comes to the office, I spend two hours writing. Right. Uh, that is the mountain I've never succeeded in climbing. Um, so um, I, don't, I don't think that that's relevant for me to be an inventor now. But um, I love people, and I love young people. I like working with, with the small groups of uh, startups mm -hmm. and, um, and trying to help them express themselves and to have fun because it's all about the journey. Uh, Absolutely. And um, I had a marvelous journey, a fortunate one, mm -hmm. um, and I want to share with young people the fun of coming up with new ideas, the excitement, the exhilaration. Uh, well, you know what it is, right? To sit uh, with Blistex and a bunch of attorneys in a huge room in England and to sign documents. And, right. Uh, and to have something that started out as a silly little um, experiment on your bench turn into a, a, a product that's sold in many countries uh, is so exciting. Absolutely. Uh, but even the ones that blew up on the way 
mm-hmm. um, are no less fun. And and I want to share the, the my love, my passion for coming up with quirky ideas. That's uh, what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm really glad that uh, you left Canada to be in Israel. And um, that was also a quirky idea. Sure, <laughs> sure. Share the knowledge or in your experience. I think you're a great, great contribution to the Israeli ecosystem. And I'm really glad that you're here. Well, I'm grateful, but I can only tell you that Israel is a country that enables uh, weirdos like me to uh, to thrive and to grow and to develop. Um, mm-hmm. It's a country that has, well, maybe especially some parts of the country. <laughs> I don't want to get into <laughs> politics. Um, but for example, here, right, in, in Tel Aviv, it's one of the best places in the world uh, to be different. You wouldn't be writing children's books if, if you were No, in Canada, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, look at it well. <laughs> I get it. Thanks. Thank so, you very so much, Thank Ilani. you, Mel, for coming. Really excited that you're here. I'm excited too. And, uh, When's lunch? <laughs> thank you for listening. I also want to thank our producer, Yossi Matz. Thanks, Yossi. If there are any topics that you want us to cover in one of our next episodes, please go to our website, www.ipfeld.com and write to us. Tell us what you have in mind and see you in the next episode.